Like, where do you start? First thing is you start learning. I nowadays love reading biographies of people, of successful, I mean, not just entrepreneurs, but really all kinds of people. You hear their story and their journeys. It's not just motivational, but very educational indirectly because you get to hear what they did from their own opinions. So it's like, you know, what would you pay to have lunch with Warren Buffett? Well, it doesn't matter what you pay. It's not worth his time. So now you start learning. The second thing is start doing. And so if you have a job, do it in addition to that. Don't just quit your job unless you have the financial resources to fall back on. It's going to be hard because you're going to say, well, I'm already working so much and I got kids. And I know it's hard. When there's a will, there's a way. And this is so true with every aspect of our lives. If you really want to make a change, you will find a way to do it. You'll wake up an hour earlier. You'll go to bed an hour later. You will find some time on the weekends. You'll find some times in the middle of your workday to do something. Because remember, it gives you energy. It your gives purpose you energy. gives you energy. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, today is special because for the first time, I'm interviewing somebody about money. Now, money is something that I don't worry a lot about. I'm super blessed. I've had a really successful career, but I also don't understand it that well. And so today's interview is with Jaspreet Singh. He is an entrepreneur. I invest tons in companies and in himself. He's an attorney. Uh, and he also is a financial educator. He has an incredible YouTube channel called Minority Mindset. The beginning of the conversation was all about mindset because I'm sure that you all want to hear like, what do I invest in? What do I do here? What do I do there? Like, tell me the nuts and bolts. And we get to that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the right mindset about money, it's the rich dad, poor dad syndrome. You're going to always be poor. If you don't have the right idea of why you're doing it, purpose, finding something that you're passionate about, it just honestly doesn't really matter and it's not gonna stick. So there's definitely a chunk at the beginning that I think is actually the most important thing when it comes to money. Then we got into it and we got into all kinds of really fun topics about you know what to invest in. We talked about crypto a little bit. At the end, he has a great answer for like, if you had to invest $5,000, what should you invest in? And you gotta listen to the end to hear it. I've never talked to anybody about money and finances before. Ooh, really? Yeah. So I'm the first one. I feel special. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons. One is I'm very fortunate. Like I'm not in a position that I worry about it. Um, you know, I've had a success, successful career. Um, but also, like I interestingly grew up with a dad that had a really like a really positive association with money. We didn't worry about it. Mm -hmm. We were, he spoiled us as kids. We didn't turn out like completely rotten. Um, <laughs> and so like, I really just wonder how much of that mindset is what got me into a position where money yeah. wasn't a problem. Like sure. it's sort of the chicken or the egg that I'm really curious about and why this isn't an area that I have really delved into. Um, Math is also not my strong suit. I 100% agree that your mindset is what determines your financial success more than anything else. Mm. Hmm. It doesn't matter how much money you make, hmm. where you come from, what your background is. If you don't have the right mindset about money, you will be broke. And you're going to say, Jaspreet, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, well, just look at the numbers. 78% of lottery winners end up broke or bankrupt within the first few years of them winning the lottery. You have about eight out of 10 NFL players who end up 
broke or bankrupt a few years out of them leaving the league. You have so many NBA players that end up broke or bankrupt after finishing their time at the NBA. Why? It's not that they weren't making money. They were making millions. Well, it's that mindset about money. What do you do with money? And this is where now you have to understand, okay, if it's not how much money I have or how much money I earn, it's what I do with the money I make that has to be now mindset related. This is what I talk about regarding financial education. Now, this doesn't mean that how much money you make doesn't, ma- doesn't matter because it does. Yeah. Once you have the right financial education, earning more money has the most impact because now you know what to actually do with your money. You know <laughs> where to put your money. You know how to spend your money. You know how to invest your money. But if you don't have that basic financial education, which unfortunately most of us, myself included, are never taught, it is going to become extremely difficult and nearly impossible because you don't know what to do with your money. We live in this consumerism culture. It's the reality. Okay, hate it or love it. We live in this culture where it's all about the Instagram flex. What nice stuff can I have? What can I show off on Instagram? What does my friend post on Instagram? Do I have nice stuff like them? And this is the system that we're in. And it's good if you understand the system because now you can be a producer in the system. It's bad if you don't understand the system because now you're the one being screwed over by the system. (laughs) And so what I'm trying to get at is instead of trying to fight the system, learn the system. That way you can use it to your advantage. This is what financial education is all about because- this is how it works. It's like gravity. Okay. It's around us. It is there. It is happening. It has been happening and it's going to continue to happen even after you're gone. So you <laughs> might as well learn it. That way you can make the best situation for yourself, for your family and your community. Because, you know, I grew up being told, don't worry about money. Don't talk about money. Money is bad. Money is evil. And it rots people. This is the, the mindset that I grew up with. My parents are immigrants from a state in India called Punjab. They came to this country with very little. My dad had less than a hundred dollars when he came to America. Wow. He didn't speak English. He didn't know the culture. He didn't know people. He didn't, he didn't, I mean, he came to this country not knowing what to expect. It was his first time here and he just moved here uh, trying to have a better life because life was very different in Punjab, especially then. So my, they grew up very poor. My grandparents were refugees. Uh, they got kicked out of their homes when they were teenagers they, my grandfather literally slept on the streets because he had no home um, because there was like riots, looting, all this stuff happening. He had to fight for his life, literally. And then even when my dad was growing up in Punjab in the 80s, uh, this is actually just a couple of days ago. He was telling me the story where before he learned to drive, he was he just finished college. This is 1984. He came home uh, the day after uh, graduating school in India, he comes home and uh, these attacks start on our home state of Punjab. And he's talking about how people left and right are being killed, how they would the men would sleep outside, the women would sleep inside uh, to protect the home. And, you know, he's seeing bombs and shells going off over his home. So after that, he's like, you know, let me leave, comes to America with mm-hmm. next to nothing for the idea of a better life. Because, yeah, are things perfect in America? No, but you know you don't got to worry about a bomb dropping over your head. So right. it's uh, pretty nice. And so he comes here, and with that mindset of I'm going to do whatever it takes to succeed, and with that type of immigrant mindset, you want your kids to become successful. Yeah. And what does that translate to? Well, for my parents, like many other immigrant parents, it's your kid should become a doctor. 
Why a doctor? <laughs> because when you're a doctor, it comes with a lot of prestige. Uh, it comes with the status and it comes with a big salary mm -hmm. and safety. And so you assume that if you're a doctor, you're at the top of the food chain, everything is going to be fine. You're going to live a great life and you're not going to have to worry about things like money, like your parents did. And so that's the whole mindset. And that's what I was told. Don't worry about all these things. Don't worry about investing and all this other stuff that my parents had no idea about. Sure. Instead, just go and become a doctor because now you're going to be great and everything's going to be just fine. Well, along the way, I realized that there's a lot more to life than becoming a doctor. And there's <laughs> a lot more to money than just earning a big salary. Mm. And that was the turning point for me to become financially educated because unfortunately, many people follow a career just for the money. Many people become doctors just for the money. Mm. I almost became one of those people. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I love helping people. It is a part of my culture and it's a part of me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love helping people. It is something that morally I want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, medicine is you're helping people, but you're also getting paid for it, right? It's not community service by being a doctor. Like you are doing it for payment, right? So exactly. if I want to help as many people as I can as a doctor, this is where my, my brain string started to get pulled upon. I want to help people as a doctor, but I also want to maximize my revenue because I'm starting to think, financially. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm going to have to maximize my patients, perhaps sacrifice the quality of work that I do? But morally, that doesn't seem right. So I'm mm -hmm. starting to face this like big war internally where maybe I'm not doing this for the right reasons. And that's also kind of when I fell upon financial education and investing and entrepreneurship. And I realized, wow, there's so many other ways to earn. And there's so many other ways for me to give. And I realized that, yeah, I like medicine. I like the whole idea of being a doctor and helping people, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Like I have so much more love for entrepreneurship. Like if I became a doctor, I would go to work and come back. And, and that's it. Like I, I would do it because I like it and I get paid. But for me, talking about entrepreneurship, this is all I do. Like I eat, sleep, and breathe my businesses that I run. I love what I do. Like, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I go on a vacation. My wife knows I can't go on a vacation without us working. When we went on a honeymoon, she's like, okay, can you please not work more than like four hours a day, please? And so, you know, we had to make these compromises, not because like I feel compelled to, but because I actually enjoy this and I see the impact and I see the purpose. And it just, it's like, if I don't work, I feel unfulfilled. Mm. And so it's that difference. And it all starts with the mindset yeah. of how do we look at money? How does money play an aspect in our lives? And how do we want money to flow in our lives? Yeah. And this is this is all regarding, you know, starts with that mindset. So I know this is a really long, drawn out answer no, to your question. No, it's great. I have so many questions to follow up. And oddly enough, this is kind of where I was going to get to at the end, but I'm glad we started here because I really think foundationally, this is such a pivotal point. This is like what you build your financial education, intelligence, and standpoint from is like, what's your mindset? And then what's your lifestyle? So what I'm hearing is that you love what you do so much, and you've clearly had so much traction and success as a result. So it do you do you get energy from doing what you do? When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents 
I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul, to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. Yes. <laughs> and what's funny is I think people see me as successful because of the brand that I built on YouTube, uh, what's called Minority Mindset. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is when I started Minority Mindset, I had no intention of making money. I was doing it as a hobby because I was working on a different company at the time, which was my real time commitment and my like, I don't want to say purpose, but that's where my energy was going. Mm -hmm. I was running a sock company that I created. And during the launch, I got screwed over. I got scammed by a fake marketing company that took a few thousand dollars Damn. and I got upset. Um, but, you know, I think when someone has the entrepreneurial bug, you're like, okay, I'm upset. Let me go to the gym. Now, what do I do? And for me... <laughs> That was, it was like, okay, you know, either I'm going to sit here and cry about it or, you know, let me do something because entrepreneurship is one of those things that I had to do it in secret because if my parents found out that I was running, you know, businesses, they were not going to be happy because it had nothing to do with me becoming a doctor. True story. So I ran all of my early businesses from high school through college in secret. And when I launched the SAW company, I got screwed over and I was like, just frustrated because I had no support. I never had a mentor. I never knew kind of where to go. I would always get my education from books and I hated reading books uh, until I started reading business books. So that was when I was like, you know, let me try to create something to help other people like me. So I put out a class on this platform called Udemy on how to launch a business without getting screwed over. I put it out for like seven bucks. I don't really care about making money. It was just a way for me to like put out some education to help people who were in a similar situation because I got screwed over. So the class did really well. And I did it under the alias minority mindset, just because I thought that I thought differently than the majority of people. That's awesome. And yeah. And the class did well. And people were like, oh my God, this is so cool. Can you create a social media page? And I was like, sure. So I created an Instagram page called minority mindset, where I essentially did the same thing. I made posts on like just basic things that I wish I knew about, you know, business and money management and stuff like that. And I was making these posts on Instagram and people would send me DMs and comments saying, would you mind starting a blog? Because like, this is really long and it's hard to read on Instagram. Like just to start a blog. And I was like, you don't want me to start a blog. Like English is my second language. <laughs> you're not going to enjoy that. So no, but I don't mind talking. So I'll make YouTube videos. So I started making videos on YouTube under the same alias minority mindset while I was running this company. And I was in law school at the time. So, you know, I was fully committed to a lot of other things. Um, and I started making these videos. Not a doctor, but law school. Not a, yeah. Well, the reason why I went to law school is because when I told my parents I'm not going into medicine, they were like, you have to at least become an attorney to maintain any pride in the family. So, uh, but I love them. Okay. This was like 
this oh, yeah. was a different situation. They were they were doing it out of love. They didn't have the financial education. So that was when around 10,000 or 15,000 or so subscribers. This is before YouTube had any sort of monetization requirements. Like anybody yeah. could monetize any channel with any views. My friend asked me, how much money are you making on YouTube? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, you know, like from your ads on YouTube. I'm like, I'm not making any money. He's like, what are you talking about? So he goes into my YouTube backend with me and he's like, dude, you haven't even turned on advertisements on your videos. Like you can just push this button and you'll start generating revenue from your videos. And I was like, oh, like, like that's how much, like I was just doing it because I enjoyed it. Uh, not because like I, I needed to make money. I was doing it for completely different reasons. And then slowly minority minds started to grow. And uh, I made the decision to shut down my other company and focus on minority mindset, not because I was making more money, but because I enjoyed it way more. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so the minority mindset kept growing. And then that helped spur off a number of other business that I am now running uh, while doing the videos. So it's like a, kind of wow. an interesting story yeah. where, like what you were saying, where when you do your passion and then kind of, for me, I, I led with value and the money came, kind of followed. Yes. And that's why here at the Minority Mindset Companies, our core, one of our core values is lead with value. Always just provide value and then uh, focus on that and the money will follow. So, so, so true. So true. Um, I had very similar views along the way where I was like, you know, I would turn down money because it wasn't the right branding or I would turn certain things down or opportunities. I'm like, look, if I'm good at what I do, They'll always want me. And exactly. so I share I share that with you. But I, I kind of want to distill this down to like a, a nugget for people because what I've found is that the things that are really that are your purpose and calling and that you'll do really well are the things that give you energy versus take energy. 100%. So and it has nothing to do with the amount of work it takes. In fact, it has nothing. It just has nothing to do with that. I could go do an hour autograph session at a, you know, somewhere who knows who cares. And it's just kind of shallow hellos and goodbyes and signing things. And I would be so drained. It's under artificial light. There's no windows. I would just, I would just, <laughs> just like, it was like you unplugged me. And then I could sit here and do six hours of podcasts where, you know, I have to think and I have to plan and I'm I'm like navigating these conversations with people and I would get done with all that many hours and I would feel almost high like a buzz like yeah. like energy so much energy so I I I just think that it's a really good little nugget for people to know that it's the things that you love and that fuel you and that you that you do as your side hustle like you kind of did that they talk about so much in the business world a side hustle that's your real purpose and that's a good navigation tool to know like what you should and shouldn't do exactly and you know we kind of have a running joke here in our office here uh because i don't drink coffee um oh. I, I i drink tea and my team here has like a running joke that if i had coffee like i would just go off the walls berserk. They keep the coffee away from me. Do they think you double your output? <laughs> I, I did. I think they think I double my output and I'd require double from them as well. So <laughs> yeah. like keep yeah. the coffee away. What is money? That's like, a I good have question. these fantasies about living um, off the grid and exchanging services for yeah. for life. Like what is, why couldn't that be possible? Yeah. And so what's money? That's like, a what's great question. Goal? What's its purpose? Yeah. Where did it's it like, come from? 
that's a multi-part question. So let's let's go like maybe a little bit philosophical to a little bit more technical. Cool. So philosophically, money is freedom. We don't care about having dollars. We don't care about having cash. Like that doesn't do anything for us. Like if you had $10 million of cash, but the cash, no one is there to buy it and you can't buy anything with it. It doesn't do anything. It's just a piece of paper that's taken up space. Sure. So we don't technically want that cash. We want what money can buy, which for many of us is freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, maybe you might think, oh, but I want a Lambo. I want this. I want that. Yeah. I mean, those things can be nice and money can buy you that too. But for most people, we want freedom. We want the freedom to be able to live our lives the way we want. We want the freedom to wake up when we want. We want the freedom to work on the things that we want. We want the freedom to buy our spouse the things that they want. We want the freedom to send our kids to school where they want. We want the freedom to go to the best doctors that we can. We want the freedom to eat where we want. And we want the freedom to go on vacation where we want. It's the freedom that money can buy that most of us are after. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Now, if we go a little bit deeper into what is money technically, this is where money can get a little bit confusing. And this goes into a lot of kind of economic concepts that most of the times we're never taught. Mm -hmm. And this goes into now, what is money? Because money can either be a means of exchange or it can be a store of value. So I'm going to try not to get too technical and too confusing. But what that means is if you had $10,000 with the cash and you dug this into your backyard today, in 10 years or 20 years, is that $10,000 going to buy you the same that can, same stuff that it can buy you today? And the answer is no. Now, why? Well, the, the answer is because our money, what we think of as money on paper dollars, isn't the best store of value. Our hmm. money, what we call money, loses value every single day because of something called inflation. So what we call money isn't the best store of value, but it's a good currency, meaning means of exchange. If you have $10,000 in your hand, you can go to the Apple store, buy a nice MacBook, you can buy a laptop, you can buy you know whatever you want to buy because you have that money to do that. Mm -hmm. So this is where old money, we'll call it old money, things like physical gold, your traditional money serves a better store of value because it takes time, effort, and labor to mine an ounce of gold. And that representation of that time, effort, and labor is through the physical gold. So the physical gold serves as a better store of value, but it's not a very good means of exchange. Because now if you go to Lululemon or you go to Apple or you go to Gucci and you walk in with a gold bar and you say, can I buy this? They're going to look at you really confused because they don't know what to do with that. Maybe mm -hmm. somebody will take it because they're, they're a little bit financially educated and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll take this. But most people are going to say no. And so this is where you have to understand the difference between the currency means of exchange and store of value. Let me ask one little question just yeah. as a technicality. So are you saying that it's the time and effort it takes to get the gold that is the value or is it the gold itself? It is the gold. So the value. So if you talk about value versus price, uh, the price of anything at the end of the day is determined by supply and demand. So it might cost you $100,000 to build a home but the home might be worth 50,000 or it might be worth a million dollars, depending on where it is. 
And so kind of like that, that's where physical gold also has a difference in the cost to mine it. But then it also has some sort of store of value, just like how a house has some store of value because it has bricks, it has windows, it has flooring, it has all these things that have value, it provides shelter. And so it has that kind of basic value. But then the price ultimately is determined by now market conditions, supply and demand. You know, when you're in a recession, home prices go down. When interest rates change, home prices uh, get affected. So there's there's that differentiation that you need to understand as well uh, mm-hmm. when you differentiate value versus price. Okay. Move one step back from the technical side and we move back to a little bit of the philosophical, philosophical kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. How does money play a part in our lives? Mm-hmm. And this was a challenge that I had to really uh, learn the hard way because you know, I grew up being told money's bad, money's evil. Don't worry about it. Just go become a doctor. The reason why so many people create these smoke screens around money, these this taboo culture around money is because we don't understand how money plays a part in our lives. We think that more money is either going to make us evil or, you know, we say more money is not going to make you happy. And that's correct to an extent because I have created this thing, what I call the quadrifid theory. And the way it works is, we have four aspects to our life. And if you want to live a happy and fulfilled life, you have to be fit in these four aspects. Okay. And the order of them is at the bottom, physical fitness, then mental fitness, then spiritual fitness. And then at the top, you have financial fitness. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to the bottom with physical fitness, if you are on your deathbed, you don't care if you have $10 million. Uh-huh, the only right. thing you want is to be ha- healthy again. Right. Because once you're healthy, you can have a thousand and one dreams, wishes, and desires. Like you can actually go and do things. Like I know you've talked about your health journey on your uh, podcast. You've, you've talked about that with great guests, your diet, your your exercise, your, your body. Because if you are physically not here, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So are you then, saying that's number one or number four? Num- number one. So at the bottom, that's the most important thing. Got it. Foundationally. Foundationally. Got it. Then okay. you have the mental fitness. Because now once you're physically here, yeah. Now you can start thinking about your mind because if you're miserable, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, if you're unhappy, more money is going to make you more miserable. And this is where now you have to understand that your mental health is its own aspect of life. You have to take care of that. Now, this could mean talking to therapists, getting the right you know, help, getting a life coach, doing therapy, whatever that might be. But you need to take care of your mental health, surround yourself with people that you love, surround yourself with happiness, surround yourself with good energy, not toxic people. Get that stuff out because if you are miserable, more money will not fix that. Like One thing that I always talk about because I have seen this firsthand with friends of mine, and I'm sure many people have, where I know people who are unhappy or were unhappy and kept talking about man, I just want to make a million dollars because once I'm making a million dollars, then, you know, this girl is going to like me or this is going to happen. People are going to, you know, want to be my friend. And it's like my whole life will change because I have more money. But that is one of the biggest lies you can tell yourself. And you are going to become even more miserable if you achieve that financial success, because now you're going to feel even more empty. You're going to see that, hey, I got my money, but nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be around me. And so this is where you have to solve that mental aspect of your life. Then is the spiritual aspect. And this isn't religious. This is more of your purpose. Why are you here on your earth? And you, know, you were talking about the things that make you feel fulfilled, the things that make you feel happy, the things that give you energy. 
every single one of us have these type of things. Yeah. You just got to figure out what it is. Some of them might help you make money, which is great. Some of them might not. But at the end of the day, we're all here for a reason. And you want to be able to fulfill that because if you don't and you become financially successful, you're going to have no reason to get out of bed. Now, what do you do? And so this is where you want to be spiritually fulfilled, have a reason, have your purpose. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know what this is, that's okay. This is where you want to be learning. So it's understanding, you know, you have to be physically fit, mentally fit, spiritually fit. All three of these things have their own education. So like go to YouTube, go to podcasts. We have a bunch of content on this, you know, just go and learn from people that are talking about it. Maybe you'll read a book, maybe you take a class, whatever it is, but start learning about that. Once you have these three things, this is where financial fitness has the biggest impact and the most value and the most power because now you can live a more fulfilled life because now the money is just like adding fuel to the fire. You can do more of the things that make you feel more fulfilled. You can be around your friends and family and go to fun places, cool places. You can have the best diet. You can have you know, all the nice things. You can hire a trainer, but you have to have that, you know, reason, the mental aspect of wanting these things and achieving these things. That way money can actually buy you the things that will make you happy. Mm. And this is where, you know, understanding how money plays a part in our life is so important, but then also understanding the lack of money can impact every single one of these things. Because now if you don't understand money and if you don't have money and if you don't have any sort of financial education and you're constantly stressing about money, you're constantly worried about money, you don't know how to pay your bills. Now you can start eating bad and you can affect your physical health. It can affect your mental health. Financial issues are one of the leading causes of suicide. It's one of the leading causes of divorce. It's It can cause a lot of financial constraints, a lot of mental constraints. And it can also feel, make you feel really unfulfilled if you feel like you, you don't have enough money. So it's understanding how money plays a part in our life, but then also understanding how money or the lack of money plays a part in our life. If you do solve those bottom three levels of the pyramid of hierarchy of being free and being happy is that, you know, you got to start to think about like what you really need to be happy. I, I think that's also a big question is what, what does it take to be happy and reverse engineer your life and anchor that future too? Because if you feel like I need a yacht and a jet and I want to go on lavish vacations, great. Now you know what you have to do because you reverse engineer it. But in a lot of cases, people go, man, I want a decent car and a decent house and good friends. And I want time with them. And I want to be able to travel a little bit, but you know, really, I just want to be able to go take my dogs for a walk and (laughs) have great dinners and, you know, buy nice, healthy food. And, and then you all of a sudden now, like it almost like unlocks freedom because you go, okay, I don't actually have to make that million. And then there's that energetic release of like that wanting, because I listen to a lot of mindset stuff. And, you know, when you want something so badly, that grip is so, it strangles the opportunity because there's an equal and opposite belief that you don't have it. Like if you want something so badly, it implies that you don't have it. I think that can play a big role. So like the why, explain your whys and what kind of got you on to a path where you felt really comfortable. You felt like you felt confident in your position with your family. Um, you know, what, what was it that got you over that hump? And then also, yes, answer that question first. Sure. So 
it's interesting you brought that up because I talked about this with um, a guy named Tom Bill Yu, uh, oh, yeah. Impact Theory, just recently. Yeah. And he asked me a similar question and he really helped me understand this a little bit better because I, I kind of went through a, an interesting journey on this same thing where initially for me it was to prove everybody wrong because when I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, like I started off when I was in elementary school, I was mowing my neighbor's lawns because I wanted to make some extra money to take care of my parents because I saw how hard they were working. Mm -hmm. And my parents were like, no, don't do that. Just focus on your studies. So I was like, okay, fine. Then as I went to high school, I started doing more. I, I um, started playing a drum at Indian weddings uh, to earn some extra cash. And again, I did this in secret because I didn't want my parents to find out because I knew they kind of had a hint. And every time they found out that I was doing this type of stuff, they were very angry. So I always did it in secret. And so for me, initially, it was to take care of my parents, but also to show that, hey, you can be successful as an entrepreneur because there was a lot of conversations that I had with my family, not just my parents, but extended family of people saying, how can someone like you be a CEO of a company? Like, because like, I openly said, I want to be a CEO one day. And they were like, how can someone like you who has no business experience, someone with your background, be the CEO of a company one day? And I remember that. And that, that kind of left me a little scar. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it in silence. And then as like it became more and more known over the years that I'm doing this entrepreneurial stuff, it was a very interesting kind of response because at first the, when my parents found out that I was an entrepreneur by accident. So I was running the sock company and um, we ended up getting some coverage on the news because our, our company was doing really well. One of my parents' friends saw it and they called up my parents and they said, we saw your son on the news. And so my parents were like, what did he do now? Like, they were just like, what, what happened? They're like, no, no, no. He has a successful company. He's like, got these sales. And they were like, what? And so when they heard that, that was when they kind of changed their mindset. They're like, okay, clearly Jasper is not going to listen to us and he's doing okay. So that was when they started changing their mindset about, okay, you know what? Do what you want. But then like culturally, um, people kind of use that as a way to pick fun because like I would go to these events and uh, I would have these like random people come up to me and say, oh, so uh, how is your sock business going? Like, how is selling socks on the internet? Because it was like, you know, you were supposed to be a doctor. Now you're selling socks online, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, I always knew, I was like, you know, you don't get it. Like, you don't know what I know. What You don't see what I see. Like my, like, and they were just trying to, it was like in a weird, it, it was like, I never said anything, but I just kind of internalized it where, you know what, this is my motivation. I want to prove everybody wrong. So it's kind of like this dark energy um, in the beginning where it's like, you know what, I'm doing this out of spite. I'm going to prove every single person wrong, every single person that doubted me. I am going to make you eat your words. You know, after a certain point, it, it started to change for me where it's like, wow, I'm making an impact. I'm helping people. I love that idea. I start to see how this education, the financial education is so important. And I want to help spread this word. I want to help provide this value to the world. There's so many changes that I want to make. And so it started to shift slowly over to this kind of like more positive energy, more light energy, as opposed to just the dark energy. So it started off with this like intense desire to, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to do whatever I can to prove every single person who doubted me long to now I'm doing this because I, I see the impact of this and I want to make a difference. So kind of a, a shift in that sense. So if you wanted to prove them wrong, you, you know, essentially like 
you did. There's a ceiling to that, right? There's yeah. like an end point. And I don't know, maybe you can share your thoughts. I think the most, some of the most powerful goals are the ones that don't have a ceiling. Yeah. Right. If you want to make a difference, that doesn't end. Right. And so people set these goals to, it's great to have your sort of intermittent goals along the way. They're sort of markers in time. They allow you to celebrate along the way, but, but the ultimate manifesto sort of like whatever the statement is about what it is that you're doing, whatever your brand mission is or your mission in general, I don't know, maybe you could share your thoughts around that being something that doesn't have a ceiling and therefore can take the most expansive form possible. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's something that it becomes more of a purpose of for you mm -hmm. uh, and your mission of really just as a human. Because, I mean, if you look at some of the wealthiest people in the world, you look at Warren Buffett. Yeah. Why does he still get up and work? Like, like you right. have all the money in the world. You're, I mean, you can literally just fly, fly around in a private jet and just do the most exotic things in the world. Why, why all day, every day. All day, every day. <laughs> and never have to stress about money ever. Well, he likes what he does. He likes researching companies. He is. He gets a certain excitement out of that that you don't get out of doing other things. And so for him, it's it's that matter of purpose. And you look at like, you know, an easy example to see is just look at Shark Tank. You have these sharks on Shark Tank. Why are they there? They don't need more money, right? They're, they enjoy entrepreneurship. They got to where they were because they were entrepreneurs. That entrepreneurial energy is something that you want to be around. And so now you can help other entrepreneurs and go back into the entrepreneurial energy. Another million dollars, when you have $100 million, doesn't change your life. It doesn't really affect you at all. It's just one of those things where it's for the purpose, the energy, and the fun, and the excitement, and the impact that you can make. And I really think you're right where it's that no more ceiling. It's 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 now how you have fun. I mean, this is like exciting. Like my accountant calls me up one day. He says, Just breathe. how are you? I said, I'm good. How are you? He says, uh, hey, look, I need you to do me a quick favor. Uh, can you send in $100,000 to the IRS by the end of the day today? Oh, also another 15000 to the state government. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, sorry, we missed some calculations, uh, but you need to do that by the end of the day today. I was like, what are you talking about? And then he's like, oh, by the way, you're probably going to have to pay penalty on this as well. And so naturally, I was a little um, upset. And I was like, he just threw me so off guard. And so I paid it. And then I fired my accountant. <laughs> and then I went on a hunt for a new accountant, naturally. And uh, I found somebody after a lot of research who was amazing. Like, I was like, wow. Like, I did not realize like there's this level of like service in accounting because I have experienced bad accounting. And you start to experience like, oh my God, this is such a better service. And I worked with them for a number of months, like almost a year. And I was like, you know, this is a great offer that you have. Like you, what you're doing is great. You don't have any internet presence. Let's work together. Because I was like, you know, there's a lot of small businesses out there that need your type of like service, concierge and care because there's a lot of people who have accountants that all they do is file your taxes, which is not what an accountant should be doing. There should be, I mean, there's a lot more that they can be doing. And so, you know, why am I starting this again? It's, it's, yeah, there's a value, there's financial upside, but it's also fun. Like it's, I love the energy of like 
him and I brainstorming, coming up with ideas. Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. Having business meetings. We were just uh, on a call yesterday with a very large uh, company that deals with a lot of tech startups and does all this stuff. And it was like, it's just a different type of energy and fun that you get trying to build. And you know, some people are going to hate this stuff. Like, you know, another person might say, oh my God, that sounds like such a task and such a chore. I love it, you know, and it's you know, all kinds of kinds. Thank God. Everybody has their own interests. Thank God. Exactly. And this is where, you know, finding for you, what is that no ceiling? What do you enjoy doing? What do you like creating? What do you like building? And for me, it's, it's I, I like the entrepreneurial side of things where it's just a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun when I do it. Okay. So let's go to some nuts and bolts and some like takeaways, some, cause there's, I would imagine most anybody listening can sort of maybe they have spent a few minutes here during this conversation and intuitively identified some things that they truly enjoy doing. And they're like, man, I freaking hate my job. <laughs> that's what they've realized <laughs> in the last half hour. They're like, yeah. I hate my job. Um, and that's I mean, I think that's kind of exciting. So what happens now if you're someone who knows what they love. Maybe you're even someone who's got the ball rolling a little yeah. bit and on the side, you're kind of playing around with something else that you love. How the hell do you take that yeah. and give it the right nourishment to grow into something great? Like, where do you start? So the first thing is going to be, so you, assuming you have some sort of idea, first thing is you start learning. Go onto YouTube, Start reading as many books as possible. Uh, so watch as many business, uh, entrepreneurial channels, videos that can help you. Any uh, books, that, uh, like any books or I mean, you you have tons of videos oh on God. your on your YouTube, but like any books that were pivotal for you. Uh, well, a lot of the pivotal books are real are financial books, books related to investing, money management, yeah. real estate. So I mean, if you want to start there. You know, Robert Kiyosaki has a great book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, balance that out with Dave Ramsey's books on uh, money management. They're two completely opposite uh, opinions on money, but they're very, very helpful books. Um, there's tons of books on anything personal finance. But now when you go to the business side, I nowadays love reading biographies of people, of successful, I mean, not just entrepreneurs, but really all kinds of people. You hear their story and their journeys. It's not just motivational, but very educational indirectly because you get to hear what they did from their own opinions. So it's like, you know, what would you pay to have lunch with Warren Buffett? Well, it doesn't matter what you pay. It's not worth his time. Uh, but, you know, there's books about things that he did. Same with Richard Branson, same with, you know, most successful people. So read books like that. Or if you want more technical books, just go into Audible or Amazon and look at the top 25 or 50 business books in a category. Buy them all, read them. And there is your MBA for less than, I don't know, 200 bucks. Uh, and I promise you, you're going to get more, especially if you're starting a business, you're going to get more value out of those books than you will out of trying to go into a traditional MBA that's going to cost you $100,000. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. So now you start learning. The second thing is start doing. And so if you have a job, do it in addition to that. Don't just quit your job unless you have the financial resources to fall back on. It's going to be hard because you're going to say, well, I'm already working so much and I got kids. And I know it's hard, but this is where when there's a will, there's a way. And this is so true with every aspect of our lives. If you really want to make a change, you will find a way to do it. You'll wake up an hour earlier. You'll go to bed an hour later. You will find some time on the weekends. You'll find some times in the middle of your workday to do something. Because remember, it gives you energy. It your gives purpose you energy. gives you energy. Exactly. Like you're going to find a way. 
And uh, you will. And so now just start putting it in an action. And then when you screw up, tell yourself it's okay, because that's the part of the process. If you're not screwing up, you're not trying enough things. Like you have to make mistakes. You have to screw up. But then when you do screw up, learn, start again, do it again. Like I had to go from business idea to business idea to business idea to business idea, like again and again and again and again, before I finally found something that was sustainable for me, because it was how I learned. Like I, I screwed up many times. And some of the businesses that I started did very well. And to stop them when you're like, you know, you're making six figures plus a year and then realize this is not my passion. This is not my purpose. I hate this industry and then stop it. Oh, you feel like you're starting over. But this is one of those things where, you know, life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You have time ahead of you. And if you don't do it now, two years from now, you're going to wish, what if I just started two years ago? So might as well start now. Take little steps and just keep inching forward. And then you'll see, oh, yeah, even though I screwed up so much, I learned so much. I learned how to market. I learned how to sell. I learned how to build something online. And it's all a part of the learning process. And there's no other way to do it besides just doing it, learning, screwing up, and doing it again. Yeah. Yeah. What about that really interesting point where you have put money into a company, put money into a company, but you want it to be successful and you need to keep investing money? Is there a certain point in time? Is there any guidance recommendation on that process being like on advice on when you stop investing, like when it's foolish at some point in time? Because in my experience, like my racing career was what it was. But in all these other companies that I have, it's like, God, I just dump <laughs> money and it seems like it takes money to make money. And I'm like, okay, we're kind of making progress. And then I'm like, all right, now we need to scale a little bit. We need some more salespeople. We need to do this. Now we yeah. need a tasting space in Calistoga for your wine. And now we need this. And you're like, man, at what point in time do you like, is there any, any recommendations on that process? Or even just like, give us a peace of mind of, Hey, you know what? That's how it goes. Give yourself five years, give yourself 10 years, give yourself freaking five minutes. And if you don't make money, get out. Like it, it's yeah. very, I think it can be very frustrating and I'm coming at it from a place of freedom, financial yeah. freedom, but I'm also not stupid and I don't do things to lose money. So where, 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 where's the guidance in that? So Kevin O'Leary has talked about this pretty openly. I think he has a pretty good uh, rule of thumb. What he says is if you've been working on something for three years and it's not making money, it's a hobby. It's not a business. So <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good place to start. The next thing that I would say is sometimes too much money can be a disease because you can just throw money at a problem and assume that the money is just going to fix or create whatever it is that you want to do. And I've been a victim of that as well. Uh, because, you know, we always assume that, oh, I don't have a lot of money to start this idea. How am I going to build it? But sometimes that's the best thing that can happen. Um, like my minority minds, the companies, this whole brand started off with less than, I don't know, 200 bucks. Because all I started was making videos off my phone. And then that grew and grew and grew. And now we have a whole team. We have multiple companies under our belt. But one of the things that we tried to do was build a blog for Minority Mindset, the minoritymindset.com. Now, I was stretched very thin. Like I was doing so many different things. Like I was building market briefs, which is our newsletter. I was working on Market Insiders, an app that we have. I was building my YouTube videos and I was doing a lot of different things. So for me, building this blog wasn't like 
my top priority. I had a team for it. Like we had some staff members, we had a ton of freelance writers. So we hired one of the top blog consultants in the world to manage and lead and take charge of a blog. And we were playing them, paying them a lot of money, like over, I don't remember how much, but over a hundred thousand dollars a year, like at least like on the low end. So a lot of money where you would expect that, okay, just turn our blog around, give us some traction. So we paid them a lot of money and we saw no growth. I think actually our website traffic went down. And so now we're hundreds of thousands of dollars in. And now I was like, exactly like, okay, like, yeah, I'm okay financially, but this is just stupid. Like what is happening here? And so we fired the agency. We uh, really consolidated and we're like, okay, what do we need to do to turn this blog around? And so now it's like me investing my time, my energy, and building our team to start researching, going back to the basics, researching, learning, implementing, failing, and trying again, like fail fast is what they say. So it was one of those things where... You know, we did it for a year and realized this is definitely not the right direction, even though it takes a long time to build a blog. And so we completely turned it around. Now we have a much smaller team, Mm. but a faster growing blog. And Mm. we're growing way faster than we were before. Then when we had all that money going into it. So it's one of those things where more money doesn't always solve the problem. It's going back to the roots sometimes and being creative. That's what's exciting about being an entrepreneur or a bootstrapper when you're starting with nothing or very little, you got to figure it out. Like when I was in college, I was uh, running an event planning company. And I started this because in high school, I was hosting. uh, So I started off playing the drum Indian weddings. And then when I started working at Indian weddings, I got to meet a lot of the local DJs. The DJs had this idea for us to host teen parties when I was in high school uh, at this local restaurant that was looking for more exposure because they just opened. So I did that for a little while as a hobby. But I knew I was like, you know, this is just for fun. When I go to college, I got to really buckle down and become a doctor. Anyways, I go to college not knowing what to expect. And I see everybody around me partying, drinking, doing all this stuff. And I was like, well, I don't drink. I'm not really into the party scene, although I was hosting the parties, but I need something to do on Friday nights. So now I'm knocking on the doors of every club, venue, bar, restaurant on campus, trying to figure out if I could host a party here. I was 17 at the time. And one club finally said, yes, you can host a party here. You don't have to pay us anything. Just give us 50% of the revenue that you generate, the cover charge. I was like, all right, we're in business. Because the previous places that I talked to were asking for a minimum of $10,000 to host an event. And I did not have anywhere close to 10 grand. So uh, now we're in business. Then I found a DJ who was a friend of mine, to work on a commission basis that he would take 50% of the revenue that I generate. So I'm giving 50% to the club and then 25% to the DJ, which leaves 25% to me, but I don't have any costs. And it was a way for me to get started. And then now it was all about being creative and clever with our marketing. Uh, like This is when Facebook used to be very popular for younger people, like high schoolers and college people. And so... Facebook would tell you when everyone's birthday is. And so we would message everyone's birthday. Like if it's the party was in September, we'd message everybody in September and say, hey, because it's your birthday, we want to celebrate. We're going to announce your name at the club, at the event. And we'll also give you free entry into the party. Now, free entry doesn't cost us anything. And shouting you out doesn't cost you anything. 
but nobody wants to celebrate their birthday alone. You're going to bring your closest five to 10 friends. And so, you know, it's just a creative marketing of how can you now get the word out without spending all this money and just figuring it out. Because many times we assume that the reason why we can't become successful is because we don't have the tool set when in reality, it's we're lacking the mindset. And so we have to work on that mindset first, and then you can build the tool set after. Great, great advice. Um, Creativity always is such a big player in business, I feel like. you brought up kind of like this sort of almost like partnership. And so I wonder from a business perspective, as companies grow, you know, one of the questions that comes along the way, I feel like, you know, obviously there's scaling of this, but having a partner, having an investor, or what if a company gets so big and then you're like, we need capital, we need to do a seed round to get investors then you can kind of progress from there at all the levels. But, you know, I've always been stuck personally on wanting to own things a hundred percent and just, you know, and, and I, and I'm not, I don't think that that's the right mindset. So I'm curious on your advice about releasing some of this control and where partners and investors come into things. So this is a very, very, very good question. Um, and something that I've definitely struggled with, um, I like control as well. I think, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is you want to be the one in charge, which is why for all of our companies, we bootstrapped everything up till now. We haven't raised any money. So I own, like, for example, the minority mindset companies, I own all of it. However, as we grew, I did give a little percentage to my parents kind of as like a gift here. This is just a way you have a good heart. You do. (laughs) Look, when you go after, because I invest in companies, like I am a investor, I've invested in a number of startups. And what happens is, you know, there's nothing wrong with raising money, but you have to understand what that comes with. Because now when you in, open up the door to, let's just say, venture capital or investors, you almost have a boss. And sometimes when you're an entrepreneur, you don't want that. Like You, you want to have all control. You want to make the decisions. And that's fine. And this is where you just have to understand you and know what your goals are. Because as soon as you open up the door to investors, for example, now your investors are going to ask you every quarter, give us a financial report. We want to see the revenue. We want to see the expenses. We want to see the profits. And then they're going to start giving you recommendations. How about you start doing this? How about you start doing this? Now, depending on your personality, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And you have to be honest with yourself because not everybody can handle that. And as soon as you open up the door for venture capital, Mm. You can't slow down. Now it's all gas forward because every investor is going to want to see a return on their money as fast as possible, which can be great if that's your personality, but it can also drive you insane if that's not what you want to deal with. So that's the issue or concern, things you need to think about when it comes to raising money. Second, on the aspect of a partner, if you want a partner, that's fine. Uh, Like in this new tax firm that I'm starting, I have a partner. Uh, I'm an attorney. He is the financial, like the he has a tax firm. And so he has all that experience in accounting. Him and I are partnering, but we make a great balance because we have both at a place financially where we understand that, hey, we're okay. And we both understand both of our roles. He is the one that's doing the actual building the systems for the accounting, taking care of the clients and making sure that all of our team is taking care of the clients. I'm on the operations side. I'm on the marketing side. I'm on the growth Mm -hmm. side because this is what I understand. Mm -hmm. He doesn't 
step toes where I need to go and I'm going to let him do his thing where he needs to be. So it's a good balance in that sense. Sure. So if I you mean, want partners partner, can be for intelligent partners are for diversification. Partners are for divvying up the workload. Partners are to expand the oh, like potential because of bringing in other brains that can do other things. Exactly. And so this is where, you know, it's much easier for me to do that because I know I'm going to be okay no matter what. And I need him in order to build this, just like he would need me in order to grow it to the scale that we want to go. I think initially, you know, having a partner where you're giving up the equity, you're giving up the profits, you're giving up to someone because you think that they're not going to pull their end of the weight. I would say limit the partners to one other. You don't want five partners. I have seen this in many companies when you have five partners or multiple partners. Now you have so many opinions. You have so many hands in the pot, so many people that are trying to do things and everybody gets emotional. Everybody wants things done their own way. And you might think, no, this is different. It's not different. Yeah. I have seen it so many times mm-hmm. where as soon as things start to go wrong or as soon as money starts to come in, now that changes people. Because when you when it comes to planning, especially yeah. the business, you have to plan for the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. And the more people you have on, the much it becomes exponentially more difficult. So if you're going to have partners, limit them and be very picky with who you work with. What are a couple of like just top traits that you look for when you're either hiring somebody or working with somebody? Like, what do you what do you find to be a com- some common denominators with really successful, great people to be in business with? First is work ethic. You have to be willing to work hard. Second is passion, because that's something that you can't teach. Like work ethic and passion, you cannot teach is something that's just ingrained in a person. And by passion, passion can solve a lot of problems when you have the right work ethic. Because now when you're really passionate about doing something and you don't know how to do it, you're going to start learning instead of saying, um, oh, but how do I do this? Go to Google, go to YouTube. You know, it's just like all these things when you're passionate, you're going to find a way. And those are the two biggest biggest drivers. Like, Like here, when we have interviews for an employee, that's the first two things that we look for. It's your passion and work ethic. Because if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what degree, what skill set, what anything you have, you're not going to fit in well because we are very demanding and we need you to be able to learn very quickly and figure things out. And if you can't do that, it's very difficult to have a good partner just because they're smarter, they have a lot of money. They're not going to be able to provide necessarily that value unless that's all you want. If you just want someone's be able to phone them, fine. If you just want their paycheck, that's fine, but just know what you're getting. What about when we start to think about building retirement or building and, you know, building some comfort and security financially for the long haul? Is there like a certain amount or certain amount that you set aside? Is there a certain age that you go, okay, from now on, this is where I really like start putting things aside and I start planning for retirement and freedom from that perspective or even techniques i mean retirement plans 401k's yeah. all that stuff you know what what kind of things do you do or what do you recommend for people so in terms of when do you start the sooner the better the earlier the better time is the most beneficial and impactful factor when it comes to building long term wealth because like just to put some numbers on it if you start when you're 21 and you start investing just $100 a month at 21, and you do that every month until you're 66 years old, 
And you never increase how much money you're investing, just $100 a month. And you can get an average return 10% a year on your $100 a month investment. This doesn't mean your investment's got to go up by 10% every year. It's just an average return, which is the average stock market return historically. You're going to retire a millionaire with $100 a month. But if you know, you're in your 20s and you're just trying to enjoy life in 30s, you're trying to figure out your career, and then your 40s are like, all right, you know, let's start thinking about retirement because you know, I still got a lot of time, but let me start thinking about it. And then you start putting aside the same $100 a month and you get the same return. Well, if you start in your 40s, when you're 45, you're not going to have a million dollars. You're not going to have three quarters of a million. You're not even going to have a half a million or one quarter of a million. You're going to retire with $100,000, which Mm. is very far away from what you'll need in order to be able to live a nice retirement without worrying about money. So time has the most value. Now, if you're starting later, does that mean it's impossible for you? No, absolutely not. It just means you have to get a little bit more serious and learn what to do. Because at the end of the day, what do you need to do? You need to spend more. You need to earn more than you spend. And then you need to put that money to work. You have to understand how involved you want to be with your investments. You know, 401k and IRA, these are great places to start, but they should absolutely not be your sole retirement plan. Even the founder of the 401k has come out publicly and he has said that the 401k has gone awry, that he's created a monster because so many people are looking at the 401k as their sole retirement plan that I will have my 401k and social security and I'm good to go. No. That is not the case. Hmm. That is where you start. That is not where you end. So what does that mean? You have to be investing your money yourself. Now, this can be in the stock market. This can be in real estate. This can be investing in startups. Like There's there's an unlimited number of places where you can invest, but you have to do it. It doesn't have to be a lot of money to start. There are so many apps out there that let you start investing with less than $100. There's Hmm. some apps that even start letting you invest with $1. So there's no excuse in terms of accessibility because anybody can put aside $1. And you might think, well, what is $1 going to do? Well, it's just a start. I'm not saying you invest $1 and never think about it again. Just start and keep contributing to it and keep growing that. And you, I mean, the easiest, one of the, not easy, but simplest thing to do is to set up some sort of dollar cost average system. There are so many apps out there to help you do that. If you're looking for an app, you can check out my website, theminoritymindset.com. We have a ton of different recommendations based off of your goals. And all you do now is set up a system. Like for me, it's Wednesdays where money is pulled out of your checking account and then it's automatically invested into things like ETFs, which is an exchange traded fund. These are things that give you exposure to a number of different companies. So now instead of investing in one company, for example, McDonald's, and hoping that the McDonald's corporation grows, because the risk is that McDonald's goes bankrupt and now you lose everything, you can invest in an ETF, which gives you exposure to, say, 500 different companies. And now you limit the risk. You do limit some of the upside, but you limit the risk. Yeah, and you yeah. just keep doing this over the long term, whether the market is up or down and is completely passive, it's automatic. And you want to keep this consistent no matter what's happening in the markets. And you just do this month after month, year after year. And over time, you'll see, wow, my portfolio is really growing. And this is happening mm-hmm. on autopilot. That's how real wealth is built. Yeah. Yeah. What about crypto? Crypto is fun. I like crypto. I know nothing about crypto. <laughs> All I know is that there's a lot of people that love it. And when they love it, they're really passionate about it. And I asked my financial advisor a long time ago. I was like, hey, what about crypto? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, we spent 
a hundred hours between us and the company or like each trying to figure out why we should invest in this and why money should go there. And he said, we couldn't figure out a good reason and that anybody can start their own cryptocurrency. And so part of me, the skeptic or the conspiracy in me goes, well, that's because he works in the dollar market. So like they're (laughs) protecting their own market. But then I was like, you know, I don't know. I also trust him. And so, I mean, what, what's the deal with crypto? What role is that going to play? I invest my money in five places. One is my own business and startups. Yeah. Second is real estate. Third is stocks. Fourth is crypto. Fifth is physical gold. And it's in this order where gold is my smallest investment and my own business startups are my number one. Okay. Crypto is part of the risky speculative part of my portfolio. And people got into crypto originally because of lack of trust for the dollar. Sure. Where uh, you know We talked about inflation briefly. I don't want to go too deep into that. But essentially, our dollars have lost a lot of value over the last century. They're going to continue to lose value. Why? Because our central bank, the Federal Reserve Bank, can keep printing money on command. And anytime you print more money without producing more wealth, it devalues the dollar. So crypto was originally supposed to provide you with a way to move away from the dollar and move away from the control of, say, the government and the central banks. And that's was the original like Bitcoin. That that was kind of the original premise for that. And over time, it evolved. Yes, you saw the growth of meme coins, a bunch of crap coins. Now, at the end of the day, cryptocurrency has value for two reasons, its use and its network. What does that mean? Well, use means what can this cryptocurrency do? Because if you're buying a cryptocurrency because you want to get rich in 30 days or 60 days, you're buying it for the wrong reasons. And sure, maybe it'll go up, but eventually that's going to go to zero. Like there's no value there. But in terms of use, many cryptocurrencies have something called uh, blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. Well, all cryptocurrencies do, but the blockchain allows you to do many things within the crypto to build upon the software because now cryptocurrency, the blockchain is becoming more of a software than just a currency. That's where there's a lot of value because now, for example, I'll give you just kind of direct examples. Uh, Things like Ethereum, which is another cryptocurrency, there's a blockchain which allows you to build things like smart contracts. And what does a smart contract do? It allows you to build a digital contract which says you must perform X And if you perform X, you will get Y. If you don't perform X, you don't get Y. And so it is completely digital and it's completely automatic. That way now you can build these types of contracts and send out payments completely automatically that doesn't have human error. So one of the, I guess, simplest examples could be you own a home and it's rented out for $1,000 a month. And the tenants must pay you $1,000 a month by the first of the month. If they don't, then they get locked out of the home. Sounds mean, but just an example. And so that can be done through a smart contract Mm. where now $1,000 must be automatically deposited. If it isn't, then this thing happens. So that's what the blockchain can do, provides that use. Mm. And the second aspect Mm. is the network of people actually using that blockchain. So for example, Facebook is built upon the network effect. Facebook by itself doesn't have any value. Facebook has value because many people use Facebook. If you went onto your timeline or newsfeed and nothing was there, you're not going to go back onto Facebook. The more people that use Facebook, the more value that Facebook has because more people are using it. 
And so cryptocurrency works the same way in the network side, where if more people are using a particular cryptocurrency, then it becomes more valuable because it can be transacted, it can be used, and it can be built upon. So that's the two aspects of cryptocurrency where you have to understand the use case and then you have to understand the network aspect. And that's where the value of cryptocurrency lies. And this is where you know you have to be able to differentiate yourself from the noise in crypto, which is people saying, I'm going to get rich. Uh, we're just going to double our money in cryptocurrency. We're going to take over the world versus I think that there's actual value in the technology Ooh. and I want to invest in that for the long term. But also understand it's going to be a very bumpy ride. You're yeah, going to yeah. see a lot of volatility. You're going to see big movements up and down. Put the and horse you, blinders on. Yeah, and if you can't, if you can't handle that, please don't invest in crypto. So, like, what percentage do you think is a, a a a safe amount, or what do you recommend? So this is, you know, it, if you are just starting of your off net as worth. An, yeah, if you're just starting off as an investor. You don't want to be putting money into you know just the speculative investments. Like they should be one of the smallest things in your portfolio because when you're starting off, you want to build things like cash flow. You want to build have the sustainable investments. But as you grow, now you can start taking more calculated risks. Like it's just understanding which part of your life do you want to take risks because in the beginning, yeah, you know sometimes risk can be more valuable too. But just understanding how much risk are you comfortable with. You know, if you're okay with risk, you know, ten percent, twenty percent depending on where you are financially. If your cryptocurrency portfolio went to zero, are you going to go homeless or is it not going to affect you? And this is where you have to understand that aspect yeah. and then make your decisions accordingly because yeah. it is risky, it is speculative. Um, and so for based off of that, how are you going to invest? Like if I looked at my a percentage of my portfolio, cryptocurrency is, is less than 10% of my entire net worth. I don't even know if it's ten percent, but it's it's very small, yeah, relatively. But I like it; uh, yeah. it's fun and exciting. But I have my money in it. But I also understand that if it went to zero, I'll be okay. Yeah, maybe that's a good guideline. Our money's not backed by gold anymore, right? That's correct. Okay, and that's a problem. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a problem, especially if you don't understand money. So President Richard Nixon, like, fully severed are tied to the gold standard. We used to be backed by physical because... gold. Well, the United States had a lot of debts that we could not pay off. We were spending way more money than we were bringing in. And this is creating a lot of concerns because a lot of countries around the world own dollars. And so when we were spending all this money without enough wealth to back it, People were getting concerned because if, for example, you you earn $50,000 a year, but you spend half a million dollars at Gucci and Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. your credit card company is going to get very concerned and they're going to start calling you up. Well, that's kind of what was happening with the United States, where we were spending way more money than we had coming in and that we were worth based on gold. And so countries started asking for their dollars. They said, okay, we, we, we want our debts paid, give, give us our money back. And and so President Richard Nixon was running into a very tough situation where we didn't have that type of money and we could have potentially defaulted. So instead of doing that, what he said was, we're going to sever ties with the dollar. Sorry, we're going to sever ties with physical gold. And now we have the ability to essentially print money on command. So you earn 50 grand a year, you spend $500,000 at Gucci and Louis Vuitton, you can't okay. pay it off. Credit card company calls you. You say, hold on. You turn on the money printer. You print half a million dollars. And now you paid off your debts. 
this is a racket this doesn't make sense this yeah. is well that's that's exa well, exactly right it it comes with consequences and the consequence is inflation because now anytime you print more money the value of each individual dollar goes down and we have a great benefit here at the United States because we have the strongest military in the world, we have the strongest economy in the world, and we are the world's reserve currency. Everybody in the world wants to own dollars. So hmm. this gives us that power and ability to do things like printing money. Now, we're not the first civilization or organization or country or empire to print money. This has been happening since the early Roman Empire. And what has happened every single time is when you start debasing the currency, meaning you start producing more currency than there is wealth because you start printing it, essentially, sure. that the value of your currency goes down, which can yeah. also cause the empire, country, civilization to go down. And I mean, if you look at the great Roman Empire, the, the old civilization, Roman Empire, what do they do? They used to transact on physical silver. And then their government wanted to expand. They wanted to build the infrastructure. They wanted to do more things. And in order to fund that, they didn't necessarily have all the silver. So what they started doing was they debased the silver by mixing cheaper metals with the physical silver. Now, it was great in the short term because now they had more money to pay out to their contractors and workers. But eventually, people said this new debased coin and silver is not worth as much as a whole silver coin. So people needed more money, causing more inflation. And eventually that was one of the big drivers to the collapse of the Roman Empire. Now, in the last modern history, if you look at the last few hundred years, we've seen rises and falls of civilizations. Ray Dalio is probably the best educator on this. If you want to learn more, he has a book called The Changing World Order. Uh, I highly recommend that. And what he talks about is if you look at the last few hundred years, we have gone through empires such as uh, right now we are the United States is the world's empire. But if you go back a little while ago, first it was the Dutch Empire and the Gilder. Mm. And what happened was they became the world currency, the world like empire, the superpower. And then they needed to take care of everything. And they started spending so much money, more than they were bringing in. And then they started printing money. And this caused more inflation, and it ultimately led to the collapse or the, the fall of the Dutch Empire, but it also gave the rise to the British Empire and the pound. And then that was the world's reserve currency. Mm. That was the world's empire, and the, the mm. pound was what everybody wanted, mm -hmm. and London was the mm. place to be. And then after a lot of spending, after world wars, after a lot of issues, that caused the collapse of the British Empire because of all the inflation that they had because they started spending so much money. And then that gave rise to the United States Empire. Um, and we came to really become the world's reserve currency, I believe, in 1944. So you're talking about the end of World War II after Britain spent a lot of money on these world wars. And so it gave us the ability now to come to rise. The United States became the world empire. And now we're spending a lot of money to take care of countries around the world, to take care of our own people, to do a lot of things. We're spending a lot more than we're bringing in. That's why we have a $31 trillion national debt. Now, this is okay when you are on top. Everybody wants the dollar. Everybody you know, is trying to keep you in their good favor because you're on top. But then that inflation eventually starts to catch up. No matter, I mean, this has happened across civilizations. 
And once that inflation starts to catch up, now countries around the world try to take your place and they will you know, do whatever they can to do that. And this is where there are things that you can do to extend your lifespan, like how there are things you can do as a human to live longer, eat healthier, exercise, do things. They're not always the funnest, but there are things that you can do to help your body stay longer. There are things that you can do as a country or empire or civilization to stay on top longer, but it's painful. That would be things like cutting spending as a government. It'd be things like like paying down our national debt. That way we can reduce inflation, do some things that will help the value of the dollar long-term, but it's a price that we have to pay today because when you cut spending, people don't like that. Yeah, That's yeah. cutting welfare, cutting social security. Nobody wants to see the social security check get cut. Uh, but this is where we have to decide, you know, what do we want to do and how are we going to pay off our national debt? How are we going to reduce our deficit? How can we bring down inflation without creating an uproar and while keeping unity and harmony within a country and its people? And so, you know, it's a very complex topic when you talk about, you know, are we backed by gold? No. And this is where things do get a little concerning. Now, again, I don't say this, you don't want to be panicking. It's just understanding the situation so you can make better decisions with your money. But recently, you've seen the BRICS countries, which are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, come together talking about how they want to create their own new reserve currency. I think it originally started with Russia and China coming together, and they wanted to build a new currency. Uh, away from the dollar, that they wanted to be backed by metals, things like physical gold. And so over the years, Russia has been working to stockpile physical gold. Maybe it's because of that. But these are kind of just things that are happening where, you know, history, while it doesn't repeat itself, it does rhyme. And it's very beneficial to pay attention to what's happened in the past. That way you can understand, okay, this is what's kind of happening. What does this mean for you now? It's more reason for you to be financially educated and to invest your money and not just save all of your cash because you know there's this it's just the reality of what's happening like this is it's not anything to be scared about it's just this is the world that we're in this is how the economy works we go through crashes we go through recessions this has happened forever every 8 to 12 years we see some sort of market slowdown some sort of economic slowdown yet every time we see a recession or a market crash people get so blindsided they're so scared they get so hit off guard because we never expected to happen. But it always has happened. In fact, before the 2020 pandemic, we were in the longest bull market, the longest economic growth period in the history of modern America, the last 100 years. And so it was, it was, you know, one of those things where it is, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, unfortunate or fortunate. It this is just economics now, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is one of those things of Instead of being always upset about the system, understand it, being mm -hmm. educated about it. That way you can make better decisions and not be emotional and panic because no good financial decisions come out of fear and no good financial decisions come out of panic. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up with what you think maybe is the best and the worst thing to come from what happened in the last couple of years with everything from you know financial stimulus i think yeah. i heard you say they're doubling irs agents so <laughs> coming after money now um to 
you know, supply chain issues to, you know, months and months and months, if not really years of losing uh, cash flow in certain sectors. But also on the other side of things, when something goes away, another thing comes in. And I, my belief of about money is that it's just energy. And yeah. so when it goes one, if it goes away from something else, it's going toward another. And uh. we saw so many things blossom and grow that hadn't before during the during the last couple of years because of circumstances changing. So there's also great opportunity and people learning how to monetize without a brick and mortar. And so like what are the best and worst things you think um ha- are are to come from the last couple of years in the pandemic? I love the way that you put that. That's a great way to put it. And you're right. You know, we, we, every time we hear the word recession, we assume only bad. But the reality is a lot of good comes out of recessions. Like more millionaires are made during recessions than any other time. Wow. But you have to be educated about it. And, you know, some of our most popular companies today, things like Uber, Airbnb, Microsoft, Apple, all of these were started during recessions. Hmm. So it's one of those things where understanding the opportunity. Now, like you said, I think one of the, the greatest things for people is just the changing in our workforce. Like, it's kind of funny. I mean, personally here, before the pandemic, our team was in the office every single day. It was just like one of those things, you know, we're innovative, we're creative, but we were still here every day. Now, it's a completely hybrid work culture where uh, we come into the office one day a week. If you're not in town, that's okay, but we do a one day a week team day. And it's much more flexible. And it's crazy. It took a pandemic to change our work environment, but... It just kind of is what it is. Uh, So I think that's one of the great things. The second thing is I think a lot of people became more interested in financial education because when the 2020 market crash happened, we saw this huge boom of people wanting to start investing their money or trading their money. Now, I don't recommend trading. I'm a much more advocate for investing, but it got people interested, which I think is great. And third, I think the movement towards digital education has been very good. Not just because I'm on YouTube and I'm online, but I think people realizing that, hey, I can learn different things on the internet because you had people paying twenty to $60,000 a year for their college degree, now watching their classes from their bedroom, like on a webinar mm-hmm. versus you realizing, oh my God, I can watch the same thing, learn the same stuff from YouTube for free. Uh, why am I paying you know, hundred grand to get a degree to do that? And so it's not like, it's bad to get a college degree, but really understanding the cost benefit of it and when is the right situation for you to go to college? When is it right for you to borrow a certain amount of money? It's just being more educated, more well aware of your options, which I think is great. So I think those are some of the best things that happened for the pandemic. Now, in terms of the cons, like you said, I think we did overstimulate and we're paying the price for that through inflation. And I don't think that this has gone away yet. I think that inflation is going to be around. I think our economy is going to continue to slow down and people are becoming much more aware and educated about the way that our economy works, what the Federal Reserve Bank does, what stimulus does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're still very uneducated, but much more educated today than we were three years ago. So I think those are the things where you know, we're seeing a lot of positive, um, but we're, we're going to see the, the financial and economic pain and the consequences over the next decade because of everything that we did over the last few years. 
I like to look at the positive. So I, I'm glad you mentioned three of those because I think that's really where it's going. I think it, it takes takes a burning down for like alchemy to yeah. happen and the phoenix to rise and something new. Okay, final, final question. This is just like a fun one. Yeah. Um, if you if you had five thousand dollars, someone has five grand and they're like, I want to invest five grand somewhere somehow. What what would you recommend they do? Okay. Assuming that you only have $5,000, I would yep. invest this money into yourself. Because if you invest this money to the stock market, maybe you'll get a 7 to 10% return, which is fine. But I would say, take that money, invest it in yourself. Build mm -hmm. on your education, take a class, mm -hmm. read a bunch of books, start with that instead of throwing all of it into a class. Yeah. And then invest somewhere into your own idea. Because that experience that you get is invaluable. And if you can build something, I mean, that $5,000 investment can turn into $50 million. There's no limit to what you can grow it to. And uh, there's the best investment is you, especially if you're just getting started. Ah, perfect. I love it. Thank you so much. Wow. I had so much fun having a conversation about money for the first time and you did <laughs> such a good job of making things simple, which I need. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you asked great questions, very intellectual questions. So Aww. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.